Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. Hi, everybody. So as you can see, if you are viewing this rather than just listening to the podcast, you just saw a statue of the Fonz. It's the Bronze Fonz. And we are in Milwaukee with my dear friend and mentor, Scott Lesnick. So Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Fonz, home of Laverne and Shirley. I mean, how exciting is that, right? So Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lynette. It's great to be here. Now, you and I are going to be talking about something actually pretty serious. And uh, once in a while we have those moments. Yes, once in a while we have our serious conversations. And one of the things that we want to talk to everybody about is that this is your speaker and you're my mentor for, you know, public speaking, right? National speaking. One of the topics that you speak on is about what happened to you. How many years ago now? Early 90s. Early so 90s. Quite a while ago. But I mean, it was something that also lasted for a le- very long period of time. It did. It dragged on for several years after that. But it ends well. So whenever something happens, but it ends well, you're like, that's what we like in our movies and our show, you know, so it ends well, which well, is good. And you've written a book about this. Yes, Kid Jacked, A Father's right. Story. Right. Kid Jacked a father's story because your wife actually kidnapped your children and went to the Middle East. She did. Yeah. And one of the reasons that we're talking today is because your passion was the drive that you had to kind of corral to keep up that fight for all that time. It was. It was an undiscovered passion. I didn't really know who I was or what drove me. But then when I realized in the snap of a finger, I was kidless. I had to figure out who I was, what I was all about, and what I was going to do. And that's what started to take me on a journey of not only self-discovery, but a way to try to do what most people felt couldn't be done, locate and rescue my two kids and get them back home to America. And then you took that passion, and even now, all these years later, you help other people with that, and that's why you speak on it. I I love it. It, The speaking on that topic resonates with so many folks because they may not understand what it's like to have the kids kidnapped and taken to the Middle East, but they've gone through something. The loss of a loved one, a relationship that was close, uh, perhaps a diagnosis from a doctor that they didn't want to receive or something. So we all have to try to find this this strength uh, and and, and locate it. So my passion is, is really listening to their stories before and after I speak, seeing them do this when I'm speaking and knowing that I've connected because I've made what I'm talking about really about them and that's where I getting paid to speak is cool connecting with people way cooler and learning from them and hearing their stories individually later they pull you aside and go oh my gosh and I just sit there humbled and listen to every word going wow people are really incredible can you tell us bring us back to when you realized 
that your kids were missing? Yeah, it was a uh, it was a birthday phone call. My wife had originally taken the kids to visit her parents, and they were very young, two and four years old. So. I called to wish her and the kids a happy birthday because they all have their birthdays within a couple of days of one another. And on that phone call... Where was she? She was in Israel in a town called Tiberias okay. on the Sea of Galilee. It sounds beautiful, and it is, uh, but not at this time. So I, I called to wish her a happy birthday. She put the kids on the phone. Uh, my daughter couldn't really talk, being two, and Jonathan and I spoke for a few minutes, and then Lisa got back on and said, by the way, I just want you to know, we're not coming back home to America. We're staying here and you're gonna to have to move on with your life. Those were her exact words. Wow. And your response was? You need to rethink that. First of all, I had to ask, you know, seriously, are you joking? And she said, no, uh, I want you to find another wife, have more kids, because I'm not moving back there. You haven't done anything wrong. I'm not mad at you. I even still love you, but I, I don't want to be back there and I don't want the kids there and, and we're staying here. And so then I, I asked her to reconsider. She said no, and I explained to her why it was a bad decision. Basically, I said, look, you know, uh, that's kind of when I really realized what a father I was. I said, you know, the kids need us, but they also need their father to, to read to them, to play with them, to, to tuck them in at night. And once she said, well, that's not going to happen, I, that really ignited my passion that I never really knew I had. I, I, I always looked at myself as not a fighter. I'd work my way around things with intelligence, fight if I had to, but I'd rather just work things out. That's when I realized that the gloves were off, and I also found out that there were no international laws that had been signed that required her to bring the kids back, so the kids and I were in deep doo-doo. So this happens and you make the decision to go out there. Well, yeah, it took about five months of plotting, planning, role-playing, suffering tremendously, curling up into a ball and kind of like thinking to myself, I might just give up and, and just toss in the towel and move on with my life because everything I did amounted to nothing. And talking to lawyers, talking to embassies, State Department, nobody could do anything. And I, was, I thought, well, all right, it's just me. Uh, some advice from other people, what am I supposed to do? And it, it finally just dawned on me one morning when I was shaving. You know, I had this moment of clear consciousness. I'm just staring in the mirror and shaving and looking at a picture I had taken of my kids. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Why am I trying to go around Lisa to get our kids back? You're, you're silly. You need to go through her. That's the only way it's going to happen. So it changed my whole outlook and my paradigm. And I began to go, okay, this is about Lisa. It's not about the children, even though it was about the kids. So I reformulated and worked out a one-shot plan to try to get the kids back and put that plan into action. So you went out there and you tried to get her home under the guise that you would stay together and that you yeah. would sell the house, it was, right? It was complete fabrication. I, I uh, told her I loved her, but I knew I couldn't trust her anymore. I already had an attorney, uh, so I knew our marriage sadly was over. But two of her brothers are cops. She's one of seven kids, and I was going into a big family with people who look at you very intensely and, and, and don't stare away and they, they read body language well and I figured I'd get chewed up and spit out or thrown in the desert somewhere. But that didn't happen and I was able to convince her within uh, one week to get back on a plane with the kids. The only way I could get them home was with us walking physically on an airplane. And she did that uh, under the guise that we would come back, sell our house, 
and, and do this ship all the right way and do it the right way and move to uh, Israel. And two days after we got back, I needed a little bit of rest from a week flying back and forth to the Middle East. I, uh, uh, she was served with divorce papers and that's when uh, all hell broke out for about one year. What happened then? We lived under the same roof. We had a custody hearing. For a we year had more you lived under the hearing. same roof? Yeah, she wanted me to leave and I was like, well, uh, I'm not leaving. I didn't do anything and you took the kids, so if you want to leave. And she tried to do all sorts of things to get me to hit her or whatever and I wouldn't. They'd come close, but I didn't. And uh, finally we had a big trial and psychological testing and all these things. And at the end of all of it, I was awarded primary placement of Jonathan and Allie, and I had the honor, really, and the pleasure of, of raising them. And, and it, was, uh, it was beyond my wildest dreams. Maybe it was at the top of my wildest dreams, but I, was, I figured it was unattainable. And I got it. And so then you got remarried, but yeah. What happened after that? Though this is, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was four years later. Yeah. What happened is I met a lady uh, 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 a while later named Megan. She just ended up being an absolute perfect fit for me, uh, I for her, uh, wonderful. And so I gently introduced her to the kids as time went on, and she proved to be just an excellent role model, a super person, and we all fell in love with her. And four years later, we got married. And right after my wedding that the kids participated in, uh, Lisa had uh, moved back to Israel because she had abandoned the kids. She said, that's done. I'm not going to uh, live like this anymore. So she petitioned the courts to have the kids come over there because Israel had finally signed that document, the Hague Treaty, on international aspects of child abduction. And my attorney and I said, look, You've seen the psychologicals, and you've seen what she's done. If you allow the kids to go over there, she'll do the same thing again. And sure enough, she did. So the, when you look at the book and you think it's over and there's a lot of pages left, you're going, well, what left, what's left for him to tell? Well, it's really the story of how a second time to a newly married woman, uh, we figured out a way to get the kids home a second time right before it went to the Israeli Supreme Court. And we were able to do that. Uh, I was over there for six weeks, uh, watching my back every second, having to leave different hotels because I was being watched and all these and harassed. Uh, and we figured out a way to, to make it happen with the help of the courts who supported the Hague Convention because the kids were raised in their, their, their home where they spent most of their time was the States, was uh, America. So we, the, the, the law worked in our favor this time, which was incredible because in other countries, even though that law is in place, they make it much more difficult. So through all of this, Scott, what do you think your greatest hesitation or challenge was? Failure. Fear. And, you know, that's one of the things I speak on today. If it's not this topic, it's, it's overcoming fear when there's challenges and so forth. And for me, it was learning that I had to ask myself, what's the worst that could happen? And normally it'd be a lot easier than I thought. It wouldn't be as bad as I thought. So uh, for me, it was just overcoming fear in so many things I did. So after I was able to accomplish that, it changed my life. Now, raising kids isn't easy and all that, as we know, but I just thought to myself, I'm not going to live wondering what's going to happen if I try to do this or if I approach management with an idea or if I want to live my life on my terms without hurting others. 
So I, I try to eliminate fear and also help people do that because it's something that the strongest woman and the strongest man who've achieved wonderful things, they can still be debilitated by fear or change. So I try to help people go through that a little bit too. And as I do it, it's still cathartic for me because it, or it strengthens me and it allows me to learn uh, from them and, 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 and help out. What have you learned? What have you learned about yourself? Myself, uh, the easiest answer is I'm much stronger than I realized because I had challenged myself. But then uh, I, I, you know, I had the sledgehammer coming right at my face and I was either gonna have my skull cracked open and die or figure out a way to push it away. And I just found out that personally, I'm stronger than I realized and I do not give up. If there's something I have to do, I don't give up. I just keep on going and going and get beat up, scraped, pushed down, hit, and I just keep on getting up. There's an old Chinese or Japanese, Japanese proverb. It says, get knocked down six times, stand up seven. Get knocked down seven, stand up eight, something like that. And it's so true. So that's what I, I believe. You just keep on going. And usually you get to where you want to go. Well, and that's why you're known as the... Never give up guy. Never give up guy is your speaker jargon tagline. That's the tagline that was given to me, yes. So my thing is that to get people to act, I think they should envision something for themselves and really wear it a little bit and then explore what it would take and execute a plan. So for you, you took something mm. that happened to you, and I believe it's a signature keynote speaker is, what, is. You, what you've become because something has happened to you that you now use to speak on to help others. Absolutely. So many of us have experiences that we don't realize could be useful to other people. So for somebody to take what they've gone through, mm -hmm. how could they envision incorporating that into some kind of career or becoming a speaker? Well, first of all, if you want to become a speaker, you have to have the guts to get up in front of people and not soil yourself. I mean, it's something that's <laughs> kind of scary. And the bottom line is, is if you can do that, then the rest can be taught. You can learn from other professionals how to craft a presentation, but it all starts like a blank canvas uh, with no words. And you have to figure out what's my message, who's, who's, good, who's it going to relate to, uh, and, and, and who do I want to help, who do I want to reach out to. And once you do that, you can get help between the National Speakers Association. You can do something like Toastmasters and learn to get more comfortable and not say so many ums and so's and buts when you're speaking. Uh, and, and, and then you just reach out uh, if you go and that's, online. This is the exploration process now. You yeah. reach out, how so? Well, you reach go out. Uh, uh, the first thing I would do if you really want to learn to speak, whatever state you live in mm -hmm. or whatever country you live in, because there's speakers associations all over the world not just in the States, Europe's heavy with them. So if you go that way too, uh, and you just Google it, if you're in the States, National Speakers Association, whatever state you're in, they have conferences, they'll let you come uh, and visit, and it teaches you about the business of professional speaking. Uh, but you really have to find, like we all have and like I have, some mentors, people to take you under their wing, help you out a little bit and show you. So a lot of it, and a lot of what we do is giving back. Uh, because people have helped us in so many ways in our lives and and that's what I try to do now I teach the Academy for professional speakers for the National Speakers Association in Wisconsin help them out and it's uh, it's turned out to be great for me too because the people that are in it are full of intelligence great backgrounds they may not know everything about speaking so if they want to follow that passion 
some of them go for it, some of them succeed, and others go, okay, it's not what I wanted. But at least they've explored, like you said. And sometimes when we explore, we go and go and go, and other times we go, no, it's enough of that. I'm going to take it on another uh, path. So to execute that first step would be to reach out to these. Absolutely. Reach out to anybody who's a professional speaker. A professional speaker in my town, go to the National Speakers Association website for your state and look and you know and just reach out and they will gladly have you come and, and, and sit in and, and learn uh, and they've got great speakers so that's one way but also sometimes people just want to become more comfortable and they want to talk so I, I suggest writing things down doing some journaling get your thoughts out on paper put them on the computer and, and see what you've got and let it kind of take you in a direction maybe it's a book maybe you want to write you've written a book I, I have and, and that's a lot of work, but that's fun too, and that's passion. So it just depends where you want to go. I don't think most people are going to want to become professional speakers. It's a long, fun, and tough road. But if they do, there's definitely ways to make it easier than uh, more difficult. So now your kids are in their 20s, mm -hmm. yes. and they're doing great. Yeah, they've graduated college. They both have jobs. And we've got a really close relationship, which is wonderful. And, and one, of the, the, one of the best things I learned early on is to never uh, say anything bad about their mom. And that was not easy because I used to get hit all the time verbally by her and, and accusations. And so when they look at me today and Meg, they don't think of anything we really said about their mom, but they can think of a lot of things that their mom said about me. So our relationship is great. Plus, kids talk among themselves and friends, so they have a real good idea of what went on. We've spoken openly about it. Uh, and now they're adults, so they can figure it all out, which they have. And they're pretty much at ease with it. Well, I'm really glad that story ended this way for you guys. I am too. Uh, odds of it ending this way weren't good, but it did, and that's what gave me a story. Otherwise, I would probably be a miserable homeless man looking for my kids because I would have been so bummed out. I don't think I had a choice. Sometimes you get pushed to that certain level where you're like, I don't have a choice. I have to do this. Uh, and I think a lot of people feel that way, but sometimes something has to push us. And I was just pushed where I had to decide, okay, well, what are you going to do? And the decision was made when Lisa said, we're done. You don't get to see your kids and move on. I'm like, no, I don't think so. Life. Never give up. That's Never give up. And everyone who's listening to this, they understand there's something they've gone through or a friend or a loved one. Never giving up sometimes takes you a lot further than you ever realize. But you have to just, you know, they say believe and you have to just keep on pushing forward, even if it's just an inch at a time. And before you know it, sometimes you're looking like, whoa, I've come a long way. I'm going to make this happen. Yeah, never giving up. It works. And your website. What's the address for your website? www.scottlesnick.com. And we'll make sure that we include that in our show notes too so that you know, people can check out your reel on your site and see oh, yeah. you in action. Yes, I am, a, I am in action on there. And on top of that, we have you as a part of our group, our private group on Facebook, so people can yes, reach out to great. you there too. I, I love seeing everything you're doing and I'm, I'm honored that I was asked to be part of this one. Thank do. you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me and my crew come crash at your place for two nights here in Milwaukee. You know what? With, with, without Chelsea and without Cassie, it would just be the us team. Now you've got this great, yeah, it's wonderful yes. and it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. Darling.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 States in 90 Days Lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. Just keep